0: Everyone and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 100, the distro not taken, recorded June 23rd, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopi.com. With apologies to Robert Frost, this week we're going to uh, talk about the, uh, the the two distros diverging in the woods, and I took the one less downloaded by. Yeah, like I said, apologies to Robert Frost. This week, we're going to talk about the idea, uh, an article that Seth uh, pointed out a couple of weeks ago uh, that talks about the fact that Linux may, desktop Linux may actually be diverging into two or more totally separate entities. Should be an interesting discussion. Uh, but before we do that, let me introduce my co host, the ever present and stalwart, except when he's not here, uh, Mr. Chris, the command line godfather, Neves. Hi, Christopher. How, how'd how he go? How's it going? So far, so good. And the uh, present in uh, voice but not face this week, the Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hey, Seth.
1: Hey, Mark, and welcome from the Faceless One.
0: If you're watching the video feed, we don't have video of Seth this week. Uh, he's dialing in. <laughs> well, I'll let you tell the story. Apparently, an entire 50,000 uh, uh member population doesn't have internet because somebody did an oopsie
1: yeah um normally i do the podcast from my church because they have much better bandwidth than my house but something happened in canton the city and the cable company has not been able to provide access to the internet for apparently the whole weekend so lots of disgruntled people and Facebook has fallen quiet except for, you know, all the mobile peeps. So uh,
0: so Seth is uh, connecting via two tin cans and a string from his uh, home high atop um, Mount Olympus where he and uh, the Unabomber hang out. I'm not – he lives way the heck out there. So uh, if he breaks up a little well, the, bit, the that's two. T-
1: why. Yeah, the two tin cans in the stream get me to my antenna, where Semaphore does <laughs> command to the tower.
0: What? What? We need to get you hooked up with Google's Project Loon. How cool would that be? Have you guys read about that at all? No, I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, it's a new thing they just did uh, last week. Actually, we we could have talked about it on last week's show, but I didn't have enough. In fact, I thought it was probably a hoax at the time. Um but google has uh, uh released a few uh, uh hot air balloons helium balloons actually in oh, new okay. zealand and their idea is to eventually build a, a network of high altitude 10000 feet plus helium balloons like weather balloons that would bounce internet traffic back and forth to su- uh, to supply um rural areas and unsupplied areas uh, so google has saturated the known internet world with their ads and they want to uh saturate the rest of the world by providing bandwidth it's a it's a brilliant idea they're, they're These basically giant helium balloons with like a um an air bladder in them and if you you know you pump more in air and it gets heavier you pump less uh, uh pump some of the air out it gets lighter so you can control it it can go up and down and they can bounce signals to and from each other and, and ride air currents back and forth, so you can kind of control where they go. The idea is these things will be up there for months to years at a time, um, up 10,000 feet up in the stratosphere, so way above planes, uh, but lower than than orbit, obviously. So there'll be latency, like you would have on a satellite, but much less latency. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting idea, but uh, even they know it sounds crazy because they call it Project Loon.
1: <laughs> yeah i would i think that would be awesome uh satellite you know HughesNet probably doesn't like it but um yeah i i would love it they could put one right over fruitvale and i would be happy
0: and uh, that's the idea that uh, I'm sure they're going to hit. They pick New Zealand first because uh, New Zealand is uh, not sparsely populated, but the den- the population density is very light. You know, there's just a few people here and a few people there, and it's a place where there's just not infrastructure.
1: You know, and doggone it, sheep need internet
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> here in the U.S., cell phone use hasn't taken off like it has in the rest of the world because we spent roughly a century putting copper in every tree and under every street all over the country so we have infrastructure for landlines uh but you know in other parts of the world they don't have that so the cell phone industry has really taken off but they're they're not able to even provide uh, that, that uh, sort of coverage everywhere so google has decided they're gonna get in on it and what they haven't uh, at least what i've read has haven't released any specs on it but they're saying it'll be comparable to 3g speeds so 3g is like 1.5 to 3 megabits which isn't terrible uh, you know, it's better, than one exactly. <laughs> better than what I get exactly. Better than what Seth's getting would, right now.
1: Yeah, I could pay for up to two here, but that would be a pretty penny. Uh, so,
0: I did want to say uh, one other thing. We got so much feed feedback last week about SSDs uh, that I've decided we're just going to do a whole show about it next week. I've collated all of those, and if you've got other questions or comments, you can send those in. So tonight, we'll uh, even though uh, almost all the feedback I had in my in-basket uh, in this week was about um, SSDs, there was so much of it, I decided we're just going to take that and make a whole show of it. Obviously, we touched a nerve there. People were interested in it. So the, cool. no SSD talk this week, but uh, there will be SSD talk next week. Well, that works. So, which one of you saw World War Z there, I see in the notes?
1: I did. Um, I went and saw it Friday on the way home, and all I can say is, you know, thank goodness Brad Pitt will save us (laughs) from the zombie apocalypse. I mean, you know, he's saving the world, and he has has the free time to stop and adopt a racially diverse kid in the course of the movie. So, you know, art is definitely imitating life in every film he does. (laughs)
0: uh i haven't seen it have no interest in it zombies don't don't interest me but i took my kids to see monsters university uh it's interesting that, you know where i live now there's a movie theater less than a mile away used to be it was like an hour drive to go see a movie uh so but now we can just kind of hey there's a movie showing in 20 minutes let's pop over there so that's what we did went to see monsters. this uh that was this was opening weekend uh Every kid in North Georgia was there. But it was a, it was an enjoyable movie, in case you were wondering. The only thing that bothered me, cool. I'm not going to say the only thing. One thing that bothered me about it, and I've seen the original movie literally dozens of times. It's a favorite of mine. I owned it before we had kids, and now I watch it with my kids fairly regularly. And there's a line in there where Mike Wazowski says to Sully, um, you've been jealous of me since the fourth grade. But when they retconned it for Monsters University, they met in college that bugged me they could have put in one like 30 second cut scene of them bumping into each other in fourth grade and i would have been happy but they didn't do that
1: it was hyperbole for effect come on mark you do that in conversations all the time i have never used
0: hyperbole ever i don't know what you're talking about it's never happened i don't even know what hyperbole means never heard the word
1: (laughs) and i didn't inhale oh sorry (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, my kids have taken to doing that uh, gross exaggerations for comedic effect, and it's it's funny and it's good, and I'm proud of them. But also, it's like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> what have I taught them? All right, the any poor, other? poor world. <laughs> yeah, my middle child, especially. We call her Mini Me because she is, she is a small female version of me. And just imagine two of us in the world. It's it's <laughs> it's frightening.
2: That's yeah. That's spooky. That's like a good friend of mine who's having a who's having a baby. Yeah. I can't imagine him populating <laughs> and, and now he is and it, I'm almost scared that the world's gonna come to the end because of this child. But that's okay.
0: World War Z. I think. It's his fault. So so, so that's right. give us a spoiler free um review of it, Seth.
1: Um, it is. It borrows the name from the book, and that's about it. It is not the George A. Romero zombies. It's the super mutants, better than any human that's ever lived, could beat up Superman zombies. So, uh, you know, that's my hmm. review.
0: Interesting, because uh, it was uh, it was Max. Um What's his last name? Max Brooks who I, wrote the book, yes. right? Uh Mel Brooks' son, by the way. Fam- yep. famous. Ah, I was not aware. So Max Brooks wrote the book and he was all about the original lore of zombies like from the the original night of the living dead, slow moving um you know brains, um, chanting zombies. So they didn't they're that's not these zombies in this movie, huh?
1: No, these are the uh like I say these are the zombies from the planet Krypton. That can fly and are only, uh, you know, you have to be killed under a red sun kind of thing. So, so are,
0: are they super I mean, fast like the twenty-eight days later zombies?
1: Uh, yeah, okay. much like the twenty-eight day later zombies, as opposed to the Night of the Living Dead George Romero zombies. So, you know, has a, I'm not really a zombie purist, but I think the whole let's make zombies a lot tougher than we are just for more effect you really you don't have to focus as much on characterization and story and plot if you're being chased by something that's 10 times better than you kind of thing and uh i I miss the um i don't know i guess the innocence that would allow you to be scared by slow moving uh mindless dumb creatures is that a do you understand what i'm saying I, i just don't like this kind of zombie
0: yeah, I was under the impression that, and I haven't, I, like I said, zombies aren't my thing, but I've just heard the, some press about it, that the book was like a snippet of stories, like people telling their story after the zombie apocalypse is over. So it wasn't one storyline, but rather a snippet of 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 people telling their stories, it, right? It,
1: yes, okay. that, that is correct. That's what it was. And this is kind of telling what led to the zombie apocalypse. So this would kind of be like a prequel to the book maybe. Um, but it just, it just, I mean, it was okay. You know, there was, there was a lot of action and like I say, you know, Brad Pitt is going to save the world. So yay, Brad Pitt. But, uh, so lots of women and teenage girls loved it, but it just, (laughs) it, it wasn't all I hoped it would be. Um,
0: All right. So, a friend of mine who I had uh, spoken uh, positively about Man of Steel to uh, cornered me today and said, Do you just not like me? Is that it? Were you just punking me? Because I I almost walked out of that movie twice. I said, No, I really honestly liked it. I wasn't punking you. I thought it was a good movie. So, uh, you know, not everybody out there likes Man of Steel. So, maybe it's the same thing with World War Z. There are people who like it and people who don't. And they're probably not in between, right? Some movies, there's a a wide range. Some movies, there's nowhere in between. So far, I haven't heard any in between. Nobody said about Man of Steel, yeah, it was okay. They either really liked it or hated it, resoundingly. Yeah. Okay. Moving right along to the tech news. And uh, Seth uh, has a uh, um, a personal favorite that we're going to start out with, the 1,000 terabyte drive coming to a DVD near you.
1: Yeah, um, when this story, take some time and just go and read this story, because it is just really interesting how they can just, on a regular DVD, make a, um, fit a thousand terabytes on a DVD. They kind of go into the process, they use these two lasers, and it's really cool, um, but anyway, yeah, I just wanted to share it. I know it's not really software news, but come on. a 1,000 terabytes on a DVD. And, you know, not like some super thick pancake rack of them all stuck together, but just like something that's the size of a DVD now but can hold uh, well over a 1,000 times the information. You know, basically as much video as you could watch in a year on one disc. Uh, so, you know, the entire run of Sopranos on a mini disc. Everything NBC has put out on one regular size DVD ever. Uh, it's just kind of cool, and I wanted to, uh, share it with our fan base because, you know, I know that in today's connected world, DVDs are dead, but this is a way for them not to be. And you could just use a DVD as your backup, and if it holds a thousand terabytes, you know you could just override it and use it for a year, and then get right. another one. Or Who needs
0: rewritable know. if you can just append to it forever? Now right. yeah, I, no I'm kidding. not great great at these conversions, but I think a thousand terabytes is a an exabyte, no a petabyte. Then comes exabyte, yeah. petabyte, yep. Then zeta byte, I think something like that. Um, and
1: that's how you get infected with the zombie <laughs> DNA. <laughs>
0: So, uh, is this the same? Is this a different color laser? I know with Blu-ray they went with a blue laser. Uh, laser is this a different color laser, or just a way to interleave the data? Does the does the article say?
1: Yeah, what they do is they take a blue ray laser and a red laser, and the blue laser is bigger than the red laser, or one of, and then so they shine it around it, so it makes the one the other laser smaller, and that's how. They're able to make the the ones and zeros so much closer together and get so much data is they're using two lasers to counteract each other. So basically they make, make a purple laser. Well, no, it's <laughs> like the the blue it's like the blue keeps the red from riding in the area where the two wavelengths overlap, right. and so you have a much smaller um, effective wavelength of the red. Uh, like I say, just take a look at the article. It's yeah. it's, like, it's like a one-page, 50,000-foot overview, so you don't have to be a physicist um, to understand it. But, you know, it was just kind of neat. They talked about it in a couple little pictures, make it easy to understand. And it was just interesting. So I wanted to share it with the community because, you know, I'm such an interesting guy.
0: <laughs> and in the category of trying too hard for a press release, LibreOffice is touting that the government of South Tyrol is uh standardizing on LibreOffice, Roughly seven thousand computers.
1: Yeah, well you know it's seven thousand hmm. more and um uh, they're a uh it's an area inside Italy. I I'm not pulling up the links just so uh, the people out there listening know because I'm trying to keep my connection as good as possible. (laughs) And I don't remember where exactly in Italy, but it's something like a county or state in Italy. It says an Italian
0: province known as South Tyrol. So basically their version of a state. Right. um, Robert Bizzo, the Minister for Innovation and Information Technology, stressed that the changeover to free and open source software would require both strong commitment from politicians and from management in the respective administrative organizations. He added that the benefits went beyond simply lowering costs, but also will allow greater flexibility in a rapidly changing IT environment.
2: Well, at least they're yeah. doing it for a good reason
1: yeah he probably just copied that from some other press release he saw because you hear that in pretty much every open source press release
0: and it just as one government is moving into open source another one might be backing off a little bit uh the u k uh has recently released some uh, documentation that sort of wants the tip a little bit
1: yeah they uh basically changed a um uh, they changed just a phrase in their thing um It You know, because they put in here, I'll just read this one section. With the growth of free open source software, many high quality technology products are freely available for government and its suppliers to use and improve. But a large market still exists for commercial software products and the availability of open source software doesn't automatically mean that you can't choose a proprietary technology if it meets our needs. Well, so, you know, one of the it's not saying you have to use one. I guess, you know, they just wanted their thing to be open and inclusive, and so they're not trying to pick standards. So, there's two ways to look at it. Either they're pulling back or they're just trying to sound non-biased.
0: Well, the the reason that's important is previously they had uh released an official government policy stating basically that that we should preferentially use free and open source products. They didn't ban right. the use of proprietary but said that you should preferentially preferentially use free and open source. And now they're basically taking out that line that says you you need to show a preference. So it is it well, is a backing down a little bit.
1: Yeah, but you could argue that that doesn't say You could argue that they said the same thing just more openly because, you know, just because you have a preference to open source doesn't mean you have to use it. If you make a business case because there is no open source software that does this, we have to use this proprietary software. So rather than trying to use five products that only do one tenth of the job, you can go ahead and use the open one. So, you know, there's two ways to look at it. One, they're just cleaning up the thing to um avoid confusion or two they're pulling back from the open source because the big companies have given them too much money to do otherwise
0: i think there's no more comment needed on that uh, oracle's been on the news in the news a lot lately for uh, having a number of bugs and problems and just stuff not working here's an interesting oopsie They accidentally removed the GPL license from the MySQL man page. Accidental.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't so much that they just removed it, it was replaced with a proprietary, this belongs to us and you have to pay to use it kind of license. So, and then whenever the uh, Miranda DB or Maria DB evangelist guy pointed it out, they're, oh, that's a bug. We didn't mean to do that. Somebody did a Control F replace all, uh, and on their um, they were having like a wet a wet dream for Oracle, <laughs> and it accidentally got out into the wild or something. Uh, but yeah, so that's the thing. It's one of those. I wonder if they weren't just going to leave it out there and see if anybody caught it. But once somebody caught it, then they're just playing this. Oops, we're sorry. We didn't mean to do it. It's kind of that's my. Editorial, non-informed opinion of what's going on.
0: I frankly, I buy the cover story. I buy the oopsie story because that's too big a blunder. First off, you know the dowdles of the world are going to read that stuff every time, and you're not going to get it past them. Secondly, you just can't close source something that's been open sourced. It doesn't work that way. So I just, I don't see this as something they're trying to get won over on people. I think it was an honest mistake, uh, but you know if they can't how can we trust them to code uh correctly if they're not even paying attention to to their licensing that that's what it says to me i mean this is a um this is a it's a mistake but it's a telling one that yeah some guy accidentally did a replace all yeah but what if he does that for the code that sanitizes the inputs on a on a mysql database what if somebody accidentally re- replace alls that uh, obviously they're, they're asleep at the switch over there at oracle yeah. <laughs> nothing yeah
1: to do. well it's not so much that they're asleep on the switch they just don't want to let anybody else see what the switch does so but yeah they're uh they're all for our goodness we just have to believe them
0: and you've got a, a link in here about cumulus networks i don't know anything about cumulus networks so tell me what what the deal is on that
1: okay cumulus networks they are kind of like an embedded player newcomer to the linux community and they have a product called cumulus linux but and it's based on debian but it's not open sourced at all. It's an operating system that is optimized for a short list of their networking devices, and it has tons of capabilities, but it's one of those, it's not open sourced. You're basically paying for their goodness. They're taking from the Debian community, but they're not giving anything back. So they want you to say, hey, we embrace the community. We're using the community, but If you want to use our stuff, you have to pay us for the privilege of helping you kind of thing. I look at it as, um, you know, it's like Boxy. They use the community to get a good product, and Mm -hmm. then once they did, they closed it off, and now it costs them money. Uh, It costs you money to use it. Cumulus Linux is... um, it's kind of doing the same thing, but they're doing it from starting out. And there's several facts that this article talks about. Um, Cumulus Linux is licensed on a per instant basis. So every time you deploy it on your network, it requires a license. It is not a Linux based OS. It is Linux and it's entirely, um, uh, brings the entirety of the Linux experience to networking hardware with the exception of it being open and them contributing, contributing back to the community.
0: And you're allowed so to do that. It, that's 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 legal within the GPL. You can take the whole of the Linux kernel and wrap it around something proprietary, uh, or wrap something around, proprietary around it and sell that something. You can do that. That you just right. have to make the code available for the open source parts of it, which I'm sure they do on their website. So there's nothing illegal about it or wrong. Or well, uh, we we can make the distinction between illegal and wrong. Um, but we it's certainly kinda of cheesy to take something that is freely available and wrap it around something pretty and and call that new.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I just don't like the fact they call it Cumulus Linux. You know, they should just call it Cumulus based on Linux but bend over to use it. You know, that would be a much more appropriate name, I think.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that's they're they're actually branding they're using the Linux branding and saying, we are Linux. Hey, guys, if you like Linux, come to us, but we're going to sell you a license for it. Again, it's not going to work. It, it's really, it's the worst of both worlds because the the open source guys are going to say, I'm not paying you for Linux. And the business guys are going to say, ooh, Linux, I'm not sure I want any of that. So right. I think that it's a losing market proposition because both segments of the market aren't going to be interested in it.
1: Right. So yeah, I, and I had never heard of them, but they I came across links to them on a couple of different sources I was reading through, so I wanted to just share it with the uh, EDL community so they would know who they were as well.
0: And while we're on the subject of openness and licensing, Microsoft has done a big old 180 on their DRM. They released some uh, uh, information a while back saying that the new Xbox One was going to be uh, heavily DRM'd, that you... Uh, would have to uh, check to uh, ha- have a live internet connection to play it, that games, you wouldn't be able to sell them, you wouldn't be able to to trade them, that they, they're they locked in forever. Then the gamer community said, blah, 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 like they like to do, and Microsoft said, uh, Microsoft said okay, maybe not.
1: Yeah, apparently the uh, check-in feature, it has to be done once initially, but after that, it never has to connect again. And they've said they've totally remove the restriction of sharing and giving or reselling games. So uh, GameStop can breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, There's still a market for them for at least one more generation of consoles.
0: Until such time as an update flips that switch again, and they can do it more quietly.
1: Right. And,
2: you know, honestly... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Seth.
1: No, I was just going to say, it's one of those much like... um, what the PlayStation 3 did is, hey, you can run Linux on this until everybody bought it and go, oh, by the way, you can't run Linux anymore. Thank you right. for buying it. So yeah, it, it could it could very well be something like that. Um, we just have we just have Microsoft's trust and goodwill of the <laughs> gaming community that they won't do something like that because of how much they love us and have our best interest <laughs> in heart
2: but yet they're second fiddled on hardware specs compared to the PlayStation yeah. 4. So it'll be interesting to see how the market actually burns out the shares for this this box compared to the PlayStation 4, and a lot of people who I know that are moving to PC gaming. So it'll be interesting to see how it all burns out.
0: Of course, the way Microsoft is spinning this is they're saying, no, no, you misunderstood. We never meant to say that. That was your mm-hmm. speculation and and the fact is that it was never going to be this way so that's their that's the line that they're taking but you know the the news came directly from Microsoft on Microsoft letterhead that there will be no um uh reselling of games and now they're back saying oh you misunderstood that thing that we said in big bold letters
1: mm-hmm. yeah and chris they might be second fiddle in terms of hardware but they do cost more so <laughs> uh, their first fiddle in terms of price
2: <laughs> well then there you go that that that's the apple ment- mentality there kicking in
0: and so as we're yeah. long, as long as we're talking about the playstation four could it be running
1: b s d nine yeah there are some it's a rumor and there are some screenshots leaked to the internet showing it um supposedly booting up to free b s d nine um just kind of speculation, but it it might be kind of cool, you know. If Sony would actually get involved with the community and not just, you know, one of those things to start out with, but one of the drawbacks of FreeBSD is video performance, and you would think the PS4 would be able to do video performance pretty well. You know, that's just a shot in the dark. And if they were willing to share some of that expertise with the community, it could be a win-win for everybody involved.
0: And, you know, just to be uh, journalistically integritous, I just totally made up those words. Um, This is an unnamed, unidentified, anonymous source that posted a screenshot. And clearly nobody's ever forged a screenshot ever.
1: Definitely not. I know I never have.
2: <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this... I, I have a feeling this is just a bunch of hooey, but we'll see. Um,
0: so I, is, I that, is that a were, good thing or a bad thing? If they're running their console on free BSD, let's say it's true. I don't know that it is, but let's say that it is. Is that a good thing, a bad thing, or do we care? I think it's a
2: I think we it's don't a, care. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, I think it's a we don't care, because um it, obviously they're not contributing back then if it, they're just gobbling up like the last com or the last uh story we had a little bit ago they're just you know license, or they're they're taking the free operating system and then using it in a commercial way uh, i honestly don't think
1: it's going to matter too terribly much seth well it's one of those it has the potential to be a good thing uh it's like i said before if they're running it and if they give back to the community, you know, that would build tremendous goodwill for them in the open source community and it would help the free BSD and basically the whole BSD family as a whole with video graphics support. The one area where they really, really lag is uh, graphics, and that's something that I would think the Sony would excel at. So, you know, it's one of those. I I would like for it to be true, but I don't think it is. I just wanted to share the, the uh the rumor with everyone because it has it has the potential to be really cool, in my opinion.
0: As uh Dowdle was pointing out in the chat room, the BSD license is very liberal and allows you, unlike the GPL, you can take pieces of BSD code and close source it and sell it and make it proprietary. That's uh that's not as taboo uh, in BSD license code, which is why businesses like it better. So if they did that, they would be taking something open and closing it, um, and they would be within their rights to do so, which is why I think it's kind of a non-issue. I don't really care what the PS4 runs on if as long as it plays good games, and that's of course, I've always been an, uh you know an end results minded kind of guy. It doesn't really matter what's under the hood. What matters is does it do what it's supposed to do? However, if they're running uh BSD on it, um it will make it more hackable. Obviously, it has got to be uh compatible with Unix Linux like kernels if they're running BSD on it. So it makes the device more hackable so as for hackers, it's uh it's going to be uh you know a boon in that regard.
1: Right. But isn't BSD well, is- just inherently more secure than Linux?
0: Well, that depends on who you ask.
2: Yeah, that's a
0: that's a pri-
2: that's a, a community thing there.
0: Yeah, that's that you just threw a flame grenade and, and didn't realize it. Uh, that's there have been flame wars raging for decades about that very question right there.
1: Okay, well I I was unaware. Sorry.
0: <laughs> so here's an interesting device. It's a Windows 8 tablet that has Android in it as well. Two chips. Running two OSs in one device—is this the future?
1: No, no, Mark, you misread. It is an Android device that also runs Windows. That's how Samsung is marketing
0: oh, it. Okay, excuse uh, me.
1: It, <laughs> yeah, the the cool thing about this is it's like it's like a put it's like a push button to go from one to the other, and it doesn't require a reboot. So to me, that's the really neat thing. It's not like it, you know, you, it's not like you're running a virtual machine and it's not like you're dual booting. It's like you're in Windows. Uh, this sucks. Let me try Android. Click, boom, I'm in. So, well, actually,
0: more realistically, you're running two virtual machines, is how that it's really going to work. You've got an underlying hypervisor that's swapping back and forth between virtual machines. But either way, yeah, to the end user, you've got two OS's and you've got one device that can do everything you need it to do except iTunes.
1: Well, no, because it'll have Windows, so it, it can it can run a crappy version of iTunes uh, <laughs> because it has Windows.
0: I, uh, is there is there word on pricing? I'm not seeing this in the article, uh,
1: it, but uh, no, they've it's just announced. I haven't right. seen that it's actually available. I think it's due out like in the fall of the year.
0: See what what needs to happen, and again, I can't. There's not quite enough information there, but what would really make this thing sing? Is if it was one unified desktop with icons for both OSs that you could run side by side and launch, you know, instead of having to switch between OSs, that's what would make this thing sing. Is if they somehow yeah. managed to do, um, you know, a presentation like a wine, yeah, or like a wine esque thing. Yeah, VirtualBox does that. I forget what they call it, but you can you can run a virtualized app on your Linux desktop.
2: Seamless. Yeah, seamless, seamless mode.
0: mode. So if if there was something like that, then I think literally the best of both worlds there. Uh, but just there's not a whole lot of value add there to me. If you're in the Android world, you're not going to be all that interested in Linux, and if you're in or Windows rather, and if you're in the Windows world, you're not going to be all that interested in Android. Maybe I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, I look at it. It just, it's showing that Microsoft has really fumbled at the very least out of the gate with their Windows 8. That people don't seem to want it at all. And so here, everybody does seem to want Android. So let's sell them Windows 8. And you know, we, this way, we get the Microsoft break on the hardware and all of that. But then we'll be able to give them what they want and, um, We'll be able to give the end users what they want oh, and make a few I get bucks it. on them.
0: All right. So this is for IT departments to impose Windows tablets on their staff and for the staff not to immediately reject it because they can have Android on it. So when I'm at work and I have to do stuff, I can have the Windows side. When I take it home and I actually want to do something useful, I've got the Android side. Now I get it. Yeah. It's like BlackBerry... OS 10s, uh, uh, not OS 10, but whatever they're calling it, the 10-point version of, of BlackBerry OS uh, having the dual personalities. That's what they're going for.
2: Yeah, right. We'll see how it goes. I think... The question will be is the price point. If the price point worth it, it might take off. But if the price point is way off the
0: beaten path... Yeah, if it's, it's the same as buying high, two tablets.
2: yeah you are gonna you might as well shoot yourself in the foot and cut off your other leg because it's not going to make it out of the gate.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, here's the thing. Android doesn't really cost you any money to throw on there. And, you know, Microsoft is – they're so desperate to get Windows 8 out there and for Windows 8 market share to actually overtake Vista that they're practically <laughs> bribing manufacturers to put that garbage on hardware. So – oh, Microsoft, you're going to totally subsidize this Android tablet for us so we can make a killing on our Android tablet? We're all for that.
0: It'll be an interesting space to watch, but I think it's a non-starter. I yeah. I, I don't see Windows 8 as being a starter. I, nobody is that I know of has been interested in it. Um, even people who uh, are getting like trial version, trial uh, pieces of hardware for free aren't running out to buy it when their trial is up.
1: No, I, I totally agree. It it's you know, and they suffered some bad press where and and rightly so, but I don't know has a desktop thing. It totally, totally sucks. There's just... There aren't enough adjectives to (laughs) define the suckage and the nuance of suckage that it brings to the IT world. Uh, And that's the only way I've ever seen it. I have not ever used it In the tablet touch environment that it was designed for so um, but you know I do like how quickly it installs and how much hardware works out of the box and then when I add classic shell to it and I get the Windows 7 look with the speed benefits of 8 you know then it's just why bother with the upgrade as opposed to it sucks so
0: Yo-Yo Ha, who's jumped in the chat room, is talking about ISTE 2013, the International Society for Technology Education, something I am intimately aware of uh, from my years in education, and, and frankly, it's breaking my heart that I'm not there because they're in San Antonio this year. Um, they're, Windows, they're giving away Windows 8 laptops, I think, just for the duration of the conference. You don't get to keep them. Uh, but I've seen a lot of, of tweets and and updates from my friends who are there Basically saying, meh, you know, I got it. I looked at it. One, one, one of the comments was the first thing I tried to do was put Chrome on it and then found out I couldn't. So I put it back in the box.
1: Uh. <laughs> well, and, you know, we talked before about the commercials and how they were just, oh, look, it snaps on there. I do have to say the last several commercials I've seen for it have actually been pretty good commercials. And they've been touting actual benefits and actual stuff. That the software can do, and not just the fact that you can snap a keyboard onto it. So, so, um, so
0: I'm in the movie theater this weekend, and they've got the pre-movie stuff going on, and there's like a 11-minute ad for Windows 8 about the making of the "It's Cool Because It's Clicks" commercial, and they're talking about how they got this dance guy who's uh, world-renowned and invented this form of modern dance, and this this beatbox guy. They were so so excited. They went around the world to get the best talent. And then the the director in his you know, uber pretentious way at the end says, the commercial says that it's all about being you. And that's what Windows 8 is about. It's about being you. No, that commercial is about things clicking and people dancing. And it doesn't have anything to do with anything. And nothing you said. And nothing that Microsoft should be selling either. So it's such a disjointed message. We've really made this mini movie that we're super excited about. Yeah, but
1: does it sell a product? No, it doesn't. See, I thought I couldn't buy one because I was not a member of a gym and didn't know how to dance, <laughs> yeah. so it was off-limits for me. Um, I thought it was like for a fitness app like, uh, you know, Zumba or something.
0: When the, the when the whole two-minute ad is about clicking, I mean, really? That's your thing. That's what you're going to hang your hat on. Windows uh, 8 is cool because it clicks. All right. Moving right along to something that didn't hang its hat long enough, Songbird, service I don't know anything about, says goodbye
1: well a uh, songbird is not a service it's a media player Excuse and me. yeah they've had financial difficulties for it. a few years and they have just said oh sorry guys we're broke and we're shutting down as of june 28th but if i remember back in the day they were they were a really good linux player um chris you might know more of that because you were much more involved in the linux community back then but they at one time they were a pretty good media player and then hard times fell along and probably the fact that vlc came out might have had something to do with it and so they they're they're dying off now and are just about totally dead
2: see my experience with songbird was it, it was a long time ago and it was a good player but. At the time, it, it didn't justify being installed in my book. Um, it it was a uh, let's see, it was based in the Mozilla code, so it had the plugin and extensions abilities that Firefox does. So that's why I, I originally looked at them. But most of the time, it, it just for me it was too buggy to even run. Um, Aramac and any of the other ones that I any of the other based in Linux. Um, Media players media beat players it hands beat down. It so really, yeah. It, it, I mean, it was a good. It was a good player, and it did a lot of good stuff. But it, it just never made it over the hump for me to install it on any of my installations after the I after I originally played with them. Um, there is a an open source an alternatives version of it called Nightingale, which is built along the of it's a fork of Songbird. So if you are a Songbird fan, Bird fan. go check out Nightingale. They, uh, they're they the, I don't know, the, s- the spiritual successor. successor. So, uh, but so, that's, that's, I mean, it, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sad to see them go because they did a great job of trying to replace uh, or try to, ta- to take over the win amps of the world, but there's just too little, too too late.
1: Really? Okay.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh, wrapping out the uh, the news section, uh, uh, Google is trying to sell more stuff in India by way of opening quote Android Nation that's the name of the stores physical stores in India. Basically, trying to sell their mobile products. If you think about it. Uh, uh, Google only has what four products? They've got the the Galaxy, uh, the Nexus Seven tablet. They've got the whatever the latest Galaxy phone is. Um, they've got two Chromebooks. Did I leave anything out? They've only got four products, right?
1: Uh, there's a, in there a Motorola Droid.
0: Well, yeah, there's some, whatever the phone is, they're only selling one phone at a time for the most part. Really? Um, yeah, there are others out there, but they're actively selling one phone at a time.
2: The phone, the seven inch tablet, the 10 inch tablet, and then the Chromebooks. So yeah, Yeah. four,
0: maybe five different products. So they're they're hoping to do that in physical stores across India just to get a foothold there. They don't have anything yet.
1: Yeah, well, you know, India is the second most populated country in the world. So it would be a good market to have a presence in. Uh, and, you know, most of the things are done there in, like, small street bazaars and stuff like that. So you could also look at this as a way for them to partner with people. And I, I could see them making a deal with Company X to promote their phones in their stores um, has a way to get foot traffic in their stores and kind of diversify their revenue stream as well. So, but yeah, Google is, they're making a push into the India market. So they took over our call centers. We're going to take over their (laughs) phone world.
0: And the the ZDNet article that we're uh, referencing does uh, have an interesting point. It says that assuming they sell uh, or feature the indian brands that are running android right now uh it could actually be a boon to the indian markets as well because what you said there's they don't have a big uh distribution system built yet they don't have a a a large infrastructure for commerce it is mostly done through local bazaars right now uh so it may actually be a benefit to have somebody who knows how to sell come in and sell stuff and you know as long as they're allying with uh indian manufacturers and not not trying to go up against them
1: Right. I mean, so, they're yeah, just in, you know. Go ahead, Seth. Or go ahead. No, uh, I was going to say, it's one of those things where they're coming out and they're, they're just basically stepping up their competition with Apple and Microsoft, you know, going head-to-head, throwing off any pretenses of, oh, we're in different markets. You know, it's like, hey, no, we're going to fight you on your turf everywhere.
0: All right, and so we will now move on to the listener uh, comments portion of the show. And I uh, begin with uh, Boston Bang, who got in a last second. I was already down here preparing and setting up stuff when I got his email. Uh, so you snuck in under the wire there. That's a reference to last week's show. He says, howdy, y'all. Remember, Mark, I'm from New Orleans because I teased him about a guy from Boston saying, y'all. Thanks for the great laughs in last week's show. The discussion of the movie that shall not be named um, and the King Twit comment had me laughing so hard the roomies asked me if I'd forgotten to take my meds and the down the geek hole (laughs) comment had me laughing even harder i had in fact taken my meds i also love the analogy of hard drive partitions uh to a house i'd never thought of it like that it makes perfect sense even a friend of mine will remember it so that they can describe disk partitioning to a person who's only gotten a new computer by buying it from a big box store and has never added anything to the box by the way i totally made that up on the fly Uh, and i've gotten a few comments about uh, that being a good analogy Uh, And it just came to me while I was sitting here behind the mic. And I thought, how do you describe partitions? And so I'm glad it worked for you. Uh, Moving on to the rest of his email, it says, what happened during the main topic? All of a sudden it got really noisy with a lot of pumping and breathing in the gate and noise reduction. I'm curious to, uh, okay, I'll answer that question. What happened is my kids got home and started taking their baths. And I'm in the basement and all the pipes run through here. So when they turn on the showers and start filling the tubs, it makes a lot of noise down here. Sorry about that. I generally try to have them have that done before I start recording. Uh, And then moving on, uh, he says, I'm curious to hear how much space you give to the slash boot partition. I hadn't heard about anybody splitting it off to its own partition, but I like the idea. Um, I usually give like uh, 100 uh, megs, not much at all, just a little bit. Uh, And the reason I do that is because when I'm uh, playing with stuff, uh, but actually, it's not even true anymore. But it used to be true that different versions of Linux would like to use different bootloaders. Uh, and so I found that if I made a separate boot partition while I'm blowing away one Linux and putting up another one, having a separate boot partition made that cleaner than having boot inside of home or 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 the slash root. So that's why I did that, and I made it very small. Uh, moving on. Uh, unfortunately, hostname control is not only in is only not not only not installed in Solid K, but it's not even in the repos. So I may have to see about building it from source because I really like the sound of it. Hope you all are having a fabulous weekend and can't wait to hear what you do with episode 100. Maybe even be in the chat room if this Wi-Fi connection will stop dumping me every few minutes. And he's not there, so I guess his Wi-Fi dumped him. So there you go, Boston Pang. Any other comments on, on that, guys? Yeah, no, it, it was a good uh
2: email when i read it too i i had a chuckle almost out loud when i read his first part about the uh my king twit and then the down the geek hole um I, i've used the down the geek hole a couple of times in, yeah. in other at, at at other places and it, it always seems to get the whole tilted head weird <laughs> look and a bunch of laughs followed shortly after it so it, it's kind of nice
0: um i'm telling you it's a great name for a podcast we gotta start a podcast (laughs) called down the geek hole
1: yeah Um, i'm I'm glad you realized what that long acronym spelled because i was like what is it i can't think and uh so thank you
0: yeah i got it uh (laughs) all right moving on Nedusen asks about firewalls hi mark seth and chris just answering the call for listener input i live and work in queens queensland australia so the live show is broadcast at 10 a.m on monday here so unfortunately, I'm usually at work and not at one of those places with a friendly network administrators who like IRC and live streams. I've been lucky enough uh, to have a new baby in the last few weeks. Congratulations. So I've been able to be at home and consequently uh, present when the live show is going on. It's been great to catch all the dialogue and interaction firsthand, excuse me, and interact firsthand with the hosts and regulars like Wise One and Dottle that we're so much about. Now, I have two questions. The first is about virtualization. My current job uses ESXi and vSphere by VMware. And because I'm familiar with this, uh, this is what I use at home. Until hearing your show, I wasn't aware that there were free open source alternatives to Hyper-V or vSphere. Which uh, ones have you guys used, Zen uh, or et cetera? Uh, and are there any you would recommend over the commercial variants? What are the major differences that you can see between them? So I will uh, we'll take a minute to answer that question. Um, personally, my advice is go ahead and stick with vSphere. It's a good product. It's free, it's not open, but it's free, and there's really no reason for you to try to learn something else. That's just my thoughts. Chris?
2: Uh, I actually would probably say the same. Uh, you're already in the ecosystem. You already know it pretty much probably inside and out. Um, You know, there are a few other pl- ones that you could try. Um, what's the one built in? Fedora? Zen and Proxmox are the eye. ones that I'm most familiar yeah. with. Yeah, the, the Proxmox is the one that that I use every once in a while when I need to spin up a couple of them really quick, and I don't want to burn up any more vSphere licenses. Um, and it, it works great. I don't have it as far as hardware speed in comparison to the VMware product. There, it's almost a, a mute point to compare them. They're almost identical. So um, the the Proxmox is a great product that works really well.
0: Uh, just a correction there. Thank you, Dowdle. I said vSphere is free. vSphere is not. ESXi is free. vSphere is the one that gives gives it all the cool stuff, and it's not free. Um, but uh, as far as I know, none of the open source things can do what vSphere can do, and, you know, in the sense of moving live machines from one place to another and all that cool stuff. So you're going to get a bare-bones hypervisor if you go with either ESXi or One of the open source alternatives kvm uh, openvz those sort of things all right moving on to a second question the second question is about boris box just an aside that name shall live forevermore. it sums (laughs) up the whole concept perfectly i got some techie mates using the term and they don't even know what the reference is until i directed them to the episode okay enough with the tangent in setting up my own boris box i've come across a distro called clearos as far as i can see it's a replacement to the old clark connect I came across it uh, looking at IPCOP and PFSense alternatives. My attraction to it was that it incorporates things like Dropbox Sync, File Serving, Antivirus, and Backup PC, my other favorite episode. Uh, Have you guys ever heard of it or used it? I understand it's much heavier in system requirements than the two Mark and Chris are using, but my machine is up to the task. My question is, can these machines, ClearOS, IPCOP, PFSense, be used as an authenticator for ADSL in place of a router or modem in bridge mode? Uh, we don't really have cable here, so ADSL is the standard. There's lots of info online, but nothing about it has put that question to risk. Keep up the fantastic show. I especially love the episodes where you dig a bit deeper into a specific product, app, or solution than the 30,000-foot view. Regards, Nadeusen. Uh, so I will say I have used Clark Connect before it was ClearOS, and it's good. It's, it was very good, uh, just heavy. It was a, a do-everything box. I didn't, uh, I, I kind of moved away from that and moved into when I need a heavy do everything box um, that's uh, Untangle. Uh, but based on the history of Clark Connect, uh, I would have no trouble recommending Clear OS. Um, but I don't know if there's any good way to use just your Boris box as an ADSL modem. I, I, I just don't think you're going to be able to. I, I've seen people talk about modem strings and, and configurations, but frankly i wouldn't trust it because that stuff tends to be pretty proprietary even between your providers you know from one from one provider to another so um if if that is can be done i don't know how to do it so those are my answers to the questions chris seth well um, i would like for to me, point I would out def-
1: if it or go ahead chris
0: <laughs> stepping all over each this is what happens when you can't see each other all right seth yep. you yep. go first
1: Okay, I was going to say, if your Boris Box is doing anything other than firewall, it is not a true Boris Box. There's nothing wrong with Clear OS, but it's not a Boris Box if it does something else. So that's, uh, that's really my only comment. But, and as far as the, yeah, the ADSL, I really have no clue how you would go about setting that up, and I would not recommend it. It should go their stuff, uh, coming in from, coming in from the wall to their thing whatever kind of box they have and then from their thing to your boris box and then through your boris box somehow if the wind is blowing right into your network so
0: all right so that's a good point Seth. a boris box does one thing and only one thing all right chris you were going to say
1: uh, i was gonna say um
2: i did i've never seen clara or the old clark connect thing so i'm gonna I, i've been trying to spend some time looking at it to to actually give a, a a decent representation to it but uh no i i didn't get to it this week but i i will look into it because it does have myself intrigued uh but again like seth just said if it's doing more than one thing it's not quite a boris box right the Clark which-
0: connect is uh is a it's a server more than it is a firewall. It does, yep. uh, you know, it's got SMB sharing. It's got NFS, uh, NFS sharing. It's got, uh, like you said, Dropbox sync. It's got all that. It's a behind-the-firewall tool. Yes, it has some firewall functions, but I tend to be of the mindset of you have a firewall that does only a firewall, and then you can have your box behind it. So I would see uh, Clark Connect, uh, or excuse me, ClearOS, as being a... Uh, a multi-function server behind the firewall. I don't think I would use it as a firewall.
2: Yeah. Um, but as far as, say, um, for my particular way of doing things, and at least with my Boris box, um, my PFSense does authenticate through my modem for my DSL. I don't know if there's any difference between uh, if, if you can put... Because I don't know if you can put a modem card into your Boris box and have it be the, you know, no modem at all, but I do know that my PFSense, when I set up PFSense, I typed in my username and password, and it authenticates to my DSL, and that's how I get online. So, unless I'm missing a step, it should work. So, you're
0: saying you don't have a DSL modem? You have your the phone yeah, line plugged I, straight I, in? Oh.
2: No, no, I, I have a modem, but I by machine, the modem isn't configured at all. It's just, gotcha. it, you know, it, it's a transparent bridge. So I have to actually, in my, my um, PFSense box, I have to actually put in my authentication credentials for PFSense to connect into my provider's in, um, system. So I don't know if that's the same what you're talking about there, or you need it to authenticate, because mine does because my modem doesn't actually do anything yeah. other than take it from phone line to Cat5. So if that's what you're asking, yes, it can authenticate DSL.
0: Yeah, when I uh, had a, a different provider years ago, I set the the router, the modem in bridge mode and got an IP address directly from, you know, an external address on my box, on my Boris box. So I, maybe I misunderstood what you were asking. So yeah, you can do that if you're running your your uh, modem in bridged uh, transparent mode. I thought you were asking if it could be the modem. Um, but, yes, you can do that, and I have done it with the same box, the little laptop box that I use now as the Boris box. So it, it does work.
2: But as far as it, if it to be you know, removing the modem altogether or just go from phone line to Boris box to network, I don't know if that's possible.
0: All right. And our friend door-to-door geek geek wants to give awesome Windows Manager some love. He says, hey, guys, Chris loves and is biased towards KDE, and I love and am very biased about awesome window manager. Awesome is not a desktop environment. It's just a Windows Manager. Uh, I beg Chris not to review or try it. My weak heart couldn't take his comments on it. By the way, Awesome is so niche, I don't know of a single distro that comes with an Awesome with Awesome as the default user interface, uh, and so he should skip it. So let him review something like Razor QT, if he hasn't already, or Afterstep. Great show. Thanks for keeping them coming. I have used Awesome Window Manager, and I like it. It's very uh, Windows 95-ish. Um, in that it's simple and and stays out of the way. There's a there's a button at the bottom that does what you need to do, and I like it. I think it's it's great for what it is. No, yeah, other
2: I haven't comments. played with it yet. Okay, no, I was going to so say the only other thing that I would recommend people to play with is I think uh, I think the program is called Terminator. That's the one I use, and it does multiple shells or terminal multiple terminals inside of one window so then I just break up the terminal into multiple pieces and have you know 5 or 12 connections through Terminator
0: you know now that I think about it I may be thinking of Ice Window Manager instead of Awesome Window Manager that's Windows 95 ish. maybe I haven't used Awesome I'm going to have to now I'm doubting myself (laughs) Uh, so while I'm doubting myself I'll read some feedback from Jeff aka TRS80 asking about how to navigate around drives in linux it says hey guys to help me get going on using linux every day here's a question how can a lifelong windows user understand the linux file structure i'm used to everything being laid out in physical drive cd etc why can't i just look at what's on a drive is this because linux is laid out in a theoretical structure rather than the actual structure uh, where are the connections in each folder layer that can point to each other physical locations sort of like a windows shortcut Help me out here, please. Thanks. TRS eighty. And yes, I actually typed in programs on my dad's TRS eighty as a kid, with storage on a cassette tape and using an AM radio for sound effects. Dang, I feel old. I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> I I took my middle school computer science class on a TRS eighty, uh, the big one with the dual floppies, and then I had the the TRS eighty model two at home. It was in color, sixteen colors. Woohoo! Uh, wow. Okay, Nadeusen is actually in the chat room, and he says, uh, yes, I was talking about the modem in bridge mode and the server doing authentication, um, and I take the point that Boris Box is a one thing only. So, yeah, you should be able to do that, but I'm going to once again say that I'm not sure that's the safest way to go about it, because at that point, you have your gateway device with your files on it. That just doesn't seem like a good idea. Nope. Right, back to Jeff. Um Man, that's a tricky question, and the, really the only way you can answer it is that they just have a different history. They grew up different. Linux has mount points. You've got home, you've got var, you've got root, you've got whatever, and they can be on any drive. Um, and yep. so when you look in your, you know, the Linux version of my computer, um, you're going to see the mount points, not necessarily the drives, because Linux doesn't care what drive they're on. Um, and yeah, it can be confusing, but, uh, you just have to, that's when you have to get a little geeky. You have to use something like, you know, uh, um, P, uh, help me LSI, uh, PCI, something like that. I'm not mm-hmm. a command line guy. The, the command is escaping me that, that enumerates all that and tells you where the mount points are on the hard drive. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I can't really tell you why. And I don't really know that one is better than the other. It's just different. So, yeah, on Windows, you've got your C drive, which is a mount point, essentially. It's a partition. Uh, and you could have a C, D, and E all on one disk. Now, see, I think what's confusing you is you, you, most of the time you don't. You have a, a C disk and a D disk and an E disk. But you can have C, D, E, and F on one disk. Those are different partitions. Linux does the same thing, just calls them mount points, and their names are arbitrary now there are certain standardized like var and temp and and slash and home but you can make any arbitrary mount point you can just take a folder and say this is now a mount point and and just give it a name um and it just it's just something you got to wrap your head around there's i wish i had a better answer for you but it's just it's one of those things you have to learn to grok if you're going to get around in windows in linux
2: (laughs) that's a nice old term grok it yeah yeah um I, I never had a problem switching over because when I first started, I didn't have multiple partitions, you know, and, and any of my machines. So, but the, when I started in Windows, I started actually mounting a s, when I added a drive, I actually would tell, instead of giving it a letter, I would put it inside a folder because I didn't want to have to go to my computer, go to E to get to the drive letter. I just wanted to go to my, my documents and jump into the drive there. So for me, I never had that that issue with, you know, realizing that I'm not actually going to a drive litter to get to my documents. It was always, you know, oh, I need to go to drive the third drive in my rack. It was in the, you know, data three folder. And that was in my documents. That's just how I always did it. So when I moved over to Linux and the fact that they just gave me a mount point and I could go, oh, okay that drive you know drive three is you know racked you know i I just put it in as slash data in data one data two data three and that's how i just so i never had an issue with it um but yeah i don't think there's any way to really make things easier but as far as windows shortcuts you can do shortcuts in linux that's what the the hard and soft links are um they're usually done in the file manager, so you can just drag something over and say, make a sh- like in, in Dolphin, which is the KDE file manager, you drag something over to another folder and let let go, it'll automatically ask you, do you want to make a shortcut or or link to it or move it or copy it? And if you make a link, then you're making a shortcut just like you're used to in Windows. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how Nautilus handles that, but I'm sure it's something very similar to that.
0: In Nautilus, it's a right-click make link too, so it's it's oh, even more windows okay. Windowsy. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, it's just different. Now, if we want to go down the rabbit hole, down the geek hole, Seth, uh, we can do that another time. But we can talk about the difference between soft links and hard links and sim links and um, and why why one is better than the other, and why Windows finally, after decades, decided to adopt hard links, but. The, not the Thank time God. now we're already an hour into the show so we don't have time <laughs> for that right now so uh jeff uh will uh to be continued on that one um and then sean writes in and wants to know why printing in windows uh, in linux sucks um that's my word not his uh he says i'm literally a brand new listener my first episode was the last listener feedback one you guys really seem to enjoy what you do and as a younger listener going into the computer science world i'm glad to see not everyone turns out to be a disgruntled middle aged man tired of teachers asking him questions apparently you haven't heard me when i have my grumpy pants on uh, I've really been through the please help me, why is my computer beeping hell, and I'm glad to see there's a bright future on the other side. I'm also a big fan of the help. I checked my email on the machine that controls the air conditioner and know, uh, don't know why it's the blue screening. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, enough about me. I thought it would be perfect uh, a perfect opportunity to ask this question. It seems simple enough, but why is it that I have so much more trouble printing in Linux than I do in Windows? I have two six-ish-year-old Xeroxes that print fine from Windows machine and are uh, glitchy on a Linux box. The problems are often random, sometimes being that it won't print at all, and other times that the font is skewed. I've tried printing from multiple applications and have found no reason to suspect that it's one individual program. Basically, to print something in Linux, I've created a Samba server, paste a PDF on a file in a shared directory, and print it from the Windows machine. The fact that my T- PDF turns out fine also tells me it's probably not the program. Thanks for any advice, Sean. P.S. I hate Catch the Cat, and so does my employer.
1: <laughs> yes!
0: <laughs> and did I hear somewhere that one of you is well-versed in fog? I, I have actually been a fog consultant uh, from time to time. Uh, so here's uh, let's Same let's get here. in the way back machine. All right? You got to go way back to the world of the win modem. You're a young buck, you don't know what a modem is, but there was a time when you would plug a phone cable into your computer and it would go beep 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 boop beep, boop, beep, boop, boop beep to connect to the internet. Um so Windows, Microsoft Windows 3.11 for workgroups uh took some some of that basic um modem code and put it right there in windows and it was awesome cuz modem manufacturers now didn't have to do it so there was this whole branch of things called a win modem the win modem Ugh. was was pretty stupid it couldn't do much it trusted windows to do it for it so you had uh, a win modem which was like 12 bucks or an actual modem that was like 60 bucks so the win modems took off the printer guys looked at that and said you know what I bet we can do the same thing because Windows does a great job with print layout all right there in the system. If we hook into that, we can sell dumb, cheap printers. And they did. They don't call them Win printers, but that's exactly what they are. That's why you can't print to them very well in Linux because they don't, they're too stupid. They don't actually assemble the page and print it out. They just take what Windows hands it and spits, spit out the page. That's why they're cheap. That's why you can go down to Walmart and buy an inkjet printer for cheaper than you can buy ink for the replacement inkjet printer that you have at at your house right now because they they have relied on that code being built into Windows. And Windows does a great job of page layout and all that sort of stuff. And it can just say, all right, put a dot here, put a dot here, and you're good. Linux doesn't have that same heritage. Not only that, but Microsoft won't share. So the fact that your printer works at all is because some guys are probably in the background uh, converting that printed page into something like a a Postscript file and trying to feed that to your printer, hoping that your printer handles Postscript, which it may or may not. So it's never going to get any better because the manufacturers are building machines specifically to work with Windows. There's the answer to your question.
1: Although with it the is windows getting better, a debacle, they might have to stop that and go back to <laughs> building real printers. No, so they won't. Microsoft is helping you; it's just taking a while.
0: So Lexmark <laughs> um, tends to build stuff, and you can you can when you're looking to buy a printer, you can see what they tell you what it does. Lexmark is really good about having the print engine in the device, uh, and they tend to be a little more expensive than say a Kodak or that Xerox that you've got uh, that you're talking about, but not a lot more. Uh, and there are a couple, Rico tends to have their own print engines. So some manufacturers are doing that largely for for large enterprise business stuff because it's faster if you can just hand off like a PCL code and let the printer do the rest. It's a lot faster and it's less work on the network. But for the home use, it's still, it's still the wind printer. And that's just the way it is. A good quality printer, as Dado was saying in the chat room, uh, is going to work in Linux. And that's because it's smart enough to actually print a page. The cheap ones are too dumb to print a page. They have to have Windows tell them what to do first. Your comment, Chris, you were going to say something. You were leaning into the mic thoughtfully.
2: I was. I was going to wait in a second. But uh, I was going to say that most of the times, if you start looking around, somebody has probably reverse engineered, like you were saying, Mark, um, like my Linux machine prints to my HP color laser jet perfectly fine thanks to somebody else's work. So, you know, you may not be able to do it stock out of your Linux machine, but if you go and start Googling around for your Xerox machine, there might have been somebody who's, you know, built something that puts the, the win part of the printer into your Linux machine that they've reverse engineered and get it to work perfectly. So you, you may just not be looking for the right type of stuff. Um, I know out of, whew, I don't know how many HP and Lexmark and other printers that I've played with, but it, it's as long as you, before you buy it, you go look at their manufacturer page and see if they even offer a Linux install, that'll give you a good idea if it's a dumb printer or if it's a smart printer.
0: Yeah, and uh, I did exactly what you did for a long time i had a windows machine i copied a pdf over the windows machine and printed from there because my printer was too stupid then when it was time to get a new printer i made sure i bought a smart printer so uh yeah you're doing you're doing maybe the only thing that you can do um And moving right along, Richard congratulates us on the 100th episode. He says, hi, guys. I wanted to say congratulations on reaching your 100th episode of Everyday Linux. I've listened to a lot of different podcasts, and yours are the best by far. Uh, I look forward each week to listening to you, and though I may not agree with everything you say, I would be scared if you did, Richard. I find myself drawn back uh, week after week. Some of the best bits for me have been Chris's love of all things unity. And who can forget the infamous (laughs) Boris Bach? One thing, though, I think that the challenges should not be just given to Chris, but Mark and Seth as well, As I would love to hear Seth's adventures with Arch and Mark's uh, Linux from scratch journey. Keep up the good work, (laughs) and here's to the next hundred shows. Kind regards, Richard. Uh, You know why? I like that idea. You know why there are no challenges for Mark or Seth? Because we wouldn't take them. That's why
1: well no it's not that it's just you wouldn't want to hear an hour and a half of beep while i was talking about my adventures with arch
0: i would get uh, a good workout on the editing of that show huh
1: it, it would be a five minute episode a night hello star- welcome to everyday linux and seth what is your link <laughs> <laughs> Nightstar in the chat
0: room says, Y'all don't believe everything you say. Well said, Nightstar. Uh, not only do should you not agree with everything we say, we don't always agree with everything we say. Uh, but right. it's been fun. You know, I love to hear things like that. I mean, obviously, because I'm an arrogant jerk. Uh but when somebody says, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and yours is the best by far, that's great because uh for every one time I get somebody who says that, I get a hundred emails. That say, you talk too much, the show is lame, there's not enough Linux, art rocks. You're uh, something like that, you know. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, I hang on to these emails. Uh, deranged says you may be, Richard. Um, you've given me something. Yours and Dowdle's, it sucks less than most others. Those those are the most touching emails <laughs> I can get. And the last one I have is a, a voicemail from another Mark. Hey, Everyday Linux. This is Martin Abando from the Geeksters. I want to wish you a happy 100th episode. Happy birthday to you!
2: You don't even look anywhere near 90. So, congratulations on that. You asked for the best, you know, episodes that we had thought. Uh, I love the burping episode. That's how I'm gonna call it, the burping episode. Uh, it was a great, <laughs> great episode. I'm fairly new to listening to Everyday Linux. Um, I got hooked on it when Door to Door interviewed Mark on Podnet.
0: Luckily, I had a day trip after that, and so I spent the next seven hours in a car traveling from place to place to place, and I listened to Everyday Linux the whole way. So I really enjoyed it, and
2: I Love the way you do this stuff. Don't change it, guys. It's a great show. I look forward to hearing
0: from you. So I raise my plate of bacon to you for the last hundred and for a hundred more. Thanks, guys. All right, I have to... I, there's one word for a man who listens to seven hours straight of Everyday Linux. That word is... weird. Masochist. <laughs> You enjoy pain, my friend. Uh, seven. Well, I
2: will be nice and say thank you for listening to our show, and I hope that you uh, uh, turn your friends onto it, because we like to inflict pain upon everybody.
0: Uh, so yeah, spread the word so that other people can be just as insane as you and listen to seven <laughs> hours. If you think about it, 100 episodes, we started out doing 45 to 50 minutes and this one is looking like it's going to be a two and a half hour show because we haven't even hit the topic yet um so yeah there's probably uh 180 or so hours or maybe maybe more than than 200 i don't know it's there's more than 100 for sure of of audio out there so if you just you know if you're stuck on a caribbean cruise line with no toilet uh for a few days. Uh, everyday Linux <laughs> might not be your worst possible option.
1: Everyday Linux, slightly better than stuck in the Caribbean with no toilets. That's funny. When the when the crap starts flowing, hit the download.
0: And I, lo- <laughs> I love that we're now toasting with a plate of bacon. That's... Uh I like that. I raise I raise a pint of bacon to you. Uh good stuff. And hopefully many more. Yes. Um before we started, uh Wise One in the chat room said, So uh when do the drawing the giveaways for uh a hundred ounces of coffee and a hundred pounds of bacon start? And I thought that's a good idea. Maybe on our next hundredth episode we'll do that. But then it'll be 200. No, if there's that and much then, bacon, and we I'm better have eat some it. big Sorry. sponsors
2: to, to help us
0: ship <laughs> all that stuff out. Good Lord. <laughs> oh and uh okay moving right along let's segue smoothly from uh a crap-filled boat in the caribbean to the linux academy i'm sorry anthony they're not always good transitions i tried <laughs> this is what you pay for uh linux offers step-by-step video courses to help beginners learn to run linux servers and prep for certifications and in fact they've had students pass the certifications the lpi 101 uh just from learning their stuff, and that's pretty cool. It comes with your own Linux Lab server. that let you run up to eight different distros side-by-side side, uh, so that you can actually apply the stuff that they're trying to teach you. Uh, not only that, if you're bandwidth-impaired like our friend Seth over there, they will send you a DVD with the stuff on it um, and uh, virtual machines from VirtualBox, open source, already ready to go. Uh, just uh, fire it up on the machine of your choice and, uh, and check it out. You, uh, you can have uh, over 100 uh, training videos right now, uh, growing every week. Uh, they have assignments and labs now. they got the quiz software coming up pretty soon. Uh, it says this month. There's only seven days left in this month, so it's going to happen soon. Um, and you can get all of that for a, for a paltry $19 a month. Or if you're adventurous and you buy a quarter, you'll get three months and only pay for two months. So uh, $38 a quarter. But if you're not sure you want to pay for it, if you're not sure that uh, this really awesome Linux content is for you, well, it is, trust me. But if you're not sure, the first seven days is free. You don't pay a dime. Check it out. If you cancel within the first week, they won't charge you anything. But really, 20 bucks a month, less than $19 a month for all this uh, world-class learning that is growing Literally every day, Anthony is pouring his heart and soul into bru- producing these things. He's bringing on new teachers and new uh, content creators uh, uh, on a regular basis, and the 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 stuff is just growing. You're you're going to be happy to be in on the ground floor of the Linux Academy. I promise you. When you look back uh, five, six, seven years from now you're going to look back and say that I got in on the ground for something cool because Mark at Everyday Linux told me about the Linux Academy. So uh, thanks for being our sponsor, Anthony, and uh, you guys should go and check it out.
1: Yes, you should. I am a paying customer, and I do not part easily with my money.
0: So um, are you still a paying customer, or were you once a paying customer?
1: No, I am still a paying customer. I got in when it was uh, ten dollars a month, and so I'm grandfathered in at that price. So,
0: well, you're old, so it makes sense that you. Yeah, <laughs> I am old. <laughs> so, yeah, Seth is still shucking out ten bucks a month uh, every month uh, for for this content, and you've gotten your money's worth, obviously, or you wouldn't still be there. So, uh, right. Again, like I said, uh, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago. We we don't just take all advertisers who come here. Yeah, we do. They're the first person who's asked. But no, we wouldn't. Uh, in theory, just take all advertisers who come here. If somebody wants to come here and sell tampons, I'm going to say no. It's not right for our audience. But uh, Linux Academy, uh, I believe in them, and I, I I really like what they're doing, and uh, so that's why that's one of the reasons why we do the ad. The other reason is the check cleared. So, <laughs> right.
1: But, Mark, what if they were open-source tampons? Would we take them with-
0: <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> Moving <laughs> on to the discussion topic at hand, uh, it comes from a uh, um, darkduck.com site. I've never heard of them. Uh, and, but uh, it was an interesting article about the divergence of, uh, of Linux, and I'm gonna just kind of summarize it, and then we can discuss it a little bit, and of course in the show notes. By the way, I've had uh, uh, several people recently uh, send me emails from the website saying, "Where are the show notes?" If you send me an email from the website, you were looking at the show notes when you did it. Um, that 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 the column right on the front that has the picture of Tux in the suit and all the links—that's the show notes. I know they're less impressive than you'd like them to be. But those are the show notes. Uh, But anyway, this link, you can uh, read about it. We're not going to read it in detail, but we're just going to talk about it. So I'm going to summarize the points. Basically, dark duck here. uh, Theorize that Linux is bifurcating into two, and I've added really a third, uh, stream. That uh, that desktop top Linux has two basic categories. There's the end user-oriented products, and then there's the developer-oriented projects. So the products include Ubuntu or Mint or Zorin OS that they're they're polished and they're smooth and they have everything done for you and they're wrapped in a nice neat little bow. And then the developer projects are a little cludgier, a little uglier. You got to know a little more stuff, but they're for people who like to peel back the layers uh, and play. And uh, he uh, he makes the point that he thinks it's a good thing, and I tend to agree. I think he's right. I think I can certainly see his uh, uh, point there that there are these sort of two different strains. There's really a lot more than that, but if you really break it down, uh, I can see these two different strains and I think it's a good thing. I, I like the idea of product. I think one of the problems with Linux in the, the last you know 15 years is that there haven't been enough products. There have been projects and they're for people who want to roll up their sleeves and dig in and we will always need those people, but at some point we need those projects to become products. And I think uh, Shuttle the Foundation, the Ubuntu Foundation, is is leading the way with Ubuntu trying to create products. Um, but Mint is certainly a product. It's it's wrapped and polished and ready to go. And then I would say that the third branch, uh, and probably is really the trunk of the tree, is uh, Linux, the Linux Server branch. That is both a product and a project, and it's and is out there, um, you know, and it's stable and solid and ready for production use, but also ready for people to uh, to to hack on it and do some more. So there's my summary of the article. Now with insouciant commentary to begin. Now,
1: <laughs> something. Like I that. have a question for you. All right. Um, how would you characterize embedded Linux? You know, things like Stuff optimized for the Raspberry Pi um, and just other embedded in devices would you say that that is developer or it would be a subcategory of maybe both of these I, divergent packs?
0: I call that a product because you're you're using that as your foundation to build something else on you're not building that thing so if you got your Raspberry Pi with embedded Linux, you're not really interested in tweaking the Linux that's on the Raspberry Pi. You're interested in using it to do something cool with the Raspberry Pi.
2: Cool. Okay. See, I would class the Raspberry Pi as both. It's in both worlds because it's all, while it is a product and you're going to use it for something, you also have to know how to get in there and tink it, tinker on it a little bit to get it to work the way you are expecting it to. But I think he's got a pretty good, you know, as long as you don't put the Linux server inside his topic, or in his discussion, he's got a good point. A lot of this stuff, a lot of these different distributions are exactly that. You have the the grandma version, which would be the end user, because if your grandma could run it, it's probably going to be something that could be sold. And then your developer projects. But I think, you know, like uh, the open OpenSUSE, I-, I think that's not really a developable. That should be over on the use- end user side. But that's just my personal opinion on it. But I, I kind of agree with it, that it this is the way it, of, the world, of the Linux world right now. It, is it a bad thing or is it a good thing? Um, I think it's a good thing, personally.
0: So, um, yeah, I think that the only way it's going to get into the everyday user's world, and again, that's the focus of this show. It's called Everyday Linux, right? And uh, the development isn't an everyday thing. Uh, Even, Chris, you said recently, uh, I'm not going to do any more projects because I want to have a machine that works for a while so I can do some work. You know, as geeky and developer-oriented and hacker-oriented as you are, at some point you just need a product that you can work on, on top of. Yeah.
2: yeah. That that last couple of months, man, I I just... My laptop and my desktop were almost not even usable because i was constantly changing them up and i never but it took too long to get them to get me stable in the environment to actually play with it or to actually work on stuff so you know it it, it's it's not a bad thing but we still need all three branches of that tree in order for linux to move on
0: yeah that's the thing the products can't exist without the projects um and if and i think that's what you well you see that in microsoft and 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 linux uh excuse me apple os uh those are products that are product driven so uh the innovation is hampered uh is stifled at the at the uh under the burden of a pro of having a product so you can't you can't throw something out there and see what happens uh you have to you you have like windows has this this amazing uh, albatross of legacy 16-bit code that they recently got rid of and people threw a fit that they were getting rid of 16-bit code um, and when your when your sole focus focus is a project, I mean, a product, you can't do you can't be nimble and you can't do the stuff that a project can do. You can't pivot. You can't throw Wayland out there and listen to the world whine. You could never do that if it's a product. So uh, I think that uh, that the the fact that there's a project is what is going to make Linux eventually. It's going to take a while. It has taken a while. It's going to make it a more dominant platform uh, because you always have the, the the engine behind the product but it's never going to p- become a platform that people know about it without the product if 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 debian or 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 arch is all anybody ever gets it's never going to get past the geeks it'll never get into everyday users because it's just it's just not their thing they want a product that's polished and smooth and you know mint one of the things that people praise mint about is the artwork is so pretty that you know a project doesn't really care about artwork it's it's on the list but it's way down the list a product that's a very important thing
2: i, I really don't know where else we can go with that you pretty <laughs> much nailed everything to the wall um but now the question i uh, if let's throw the servers into the into the mix and try to categorize them up a little bit which ones would be considered projects and which ones would be um, products? Because a lot of the server market are not Tinker devo- developments or developer projects. They're full-use, living, breathing products that people use and depend yeah. on, you know, like CentOS.
0: Yeah, so Red Hat and CentOS, you know, they're essentially the same thing. CentOS is just non-branded Red Hat. Those are definitely, they they um, stay away from advancement in favor of stability so you're gonna have some really old packages on red hat on the desktop point of view um because that's not their thing and i'm trying to think of a fast-moving server well ubuntu server is is a you know it's the the ubuntu server isn't always just the long-term thing so there's a server version of every version of ubuntu that comes out every 18 months or every six months rather excuse me um and then 18 months is the long-term support ones uh, so you you could say if you're running Ubuntu Server, it's more of a project based server. And why would you run Ubuntu Server? It's because you you know it's dangerous. Well, if you're doing something that's media heavy, um, that uh, that relies on codecs, if you're running like a Kaltura server, uh, you're not gonna be. And if you don't know what Kaltura is, check it out. It's pretty cool. It's basically a a self hosted YouTube. Um, if you're gonna be running a server like that. You need it on a more uh, advanced – I hate to use that word uh, – a more rapidly advancing uh, platform. And so I think it's out there.
2: Yeah,
1: that works.
0: Uh, but it's definitely yeah, the and, exception uh, and not the rule. Go ahead. Go ahead, Seth.
1: Yeah, No. well, I was going to say, unfortunately, there won't ever be a critical mass – in the community, uh, like especially the desktop community, and that's what this article is kind of focused on, without the products getting people to adopt and attracting developers to and increasing, you know, because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, this is my passion, like the guy who does Puppy. Puppy Linux is pretty much a one-person show. And whenever he gets around to updating it, he puts out a new version. So... It comes along kind of fast, but not that fast. But you get something that people are attracted to and people want to use. Well, people want to develop for stuff that wants to get used. So without the projects attracting people, or without the products attracting people to the projects, it's never going to be anything. So, But again, you know, I would not want to recommend, I don't want to touch Arch Linux, much less try to (laughs) instruct anyone in my family to use it. Now, there's a lot of people in my family I would throw Linux Mint, you know, or even really Ubuntu on a machine and say, here, use this because I'm tired of cleaning viruses off your machine, although I appreciate your catch. Um, You know, but whereas, you know, there's a lot of Linux distros I would not do that on because they aren't ready for that. So I think you do need to have at least the two classes. One's for the geeks to love, and then one's for grandma to use.
0: And can't we agree that the the product is a relatively new development I mean, in the last 10 years or so? Um, it, yeah, Linux,
2: I, I would agree with that. Yeah,
0: Linux has been projects for most of its life. And so people might right. complain about the fact that the products are... Uh, still rough around the edges but if you go back to 10 years into windows life you know what is that windows 3.5 um maybe yeah, nt somewhere around there uh so you know, we we're, we're just we're we're just looking into this thing and and really um ubuntu they just took the diapers off <laughs> yeah ubuntu is really the first one that had any money behind it uh and right. and what they're they're you know, they're raising the sea level, which is raising all boats with it. Uh there just hasn't been a desktop oriented project with a ton of money behind it. Now SUSE, uh desktop Linux Sled, uh has been around and they've thrown some money at it. I think anybody would say it's the uh the darling of of that company. You know, it's it's something that they're they're investing in, but you know it's it's not the big thing of where, whereas Ubuntu, the Shuttleworth Foundation, that's their thing. It's what they're doing. It's what they're throwing all their effort into. and we can yeah. uh, argue about the, the bad points of it all day long. There are certainly things about it I like and things that I don't, but they're at least doing something, and they're moving in one direction, and if and sometimes all they're doing is, is holding up for other people to run away from, and that's, that has value too.
2: Yeah, it it does. You know, I I I don't have a problem with running yeah. away from them, but you know, and that's a good thing. Um it, it's it but we need more distributions like um or people with money like the Shuttleworth Foundation to push Linux harder into the market centers that people will actually maybe take a chance and try it. Because otherwise we're just going to be back where we you know where we started this whole thing where we're still you know like i said earlier taking the diapers off and we're never going to advance any further than that just like when if you go look back 10 you know where windows and apple were you know 10 years out of the gate they were fighting each other tooth and nail we don't have any of that that active linux you know advertisement we don't have any active linux um media being pushed into the into the homes of every viewer um I think that would help bring you know the everydayness back to Linux is if we had somebody you know advocating for it and which we don't have at this point um All it is is word of mouth and you know podcasts like us that are pushing it into the people's homes so um
0: well yeah. they have the best podcast on the internet advocating for them. Right, but we're only one. Podcast, oh, I wasn't talking Mark. about Come us. On. but yeah, that we're there too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think um, I, I think we're gonna just end that. We could probably go round and round in circles about that, but that's a good exploration of the concept. Uh, and I think I think Dark Duck, whoever he is, uh, makes a good point. There, there is a bifurcation happening, and it's not necessarily a bad thing.
2: I actually kind of like it personally. I, I think it's a good thing because then there's people like me who like to play, play in and I don't worry about the machine breaking. But like for my mom, who I don't want to be over there fixing the machine every weekend, uh, it works great for because she has a product that she can, you know, Facebook and, you know, reliably get on the internet without having to worry about things.
0: Yeah, I like that we have finally reached a point, and And it's not recent. I would say we reached that point three or four where i can give linux of of whatever particular flavor i have i'm on record as saying i like mint to you know a grandma or mom or an unsophisticated person and say here just run this and i know that they're going to be able to do everything they need to do and it's it's cool that we finally got there and that was really the vision of ubuntu when shuttleworth started it was uh originally it was for south african kids to have an operating system that would do what they need cool and we have arrived at that and that's awesome now we're pushing on forward more to something that is even more polished and more, uh, you know, marketable. Um, I, I would love to see, take on uh, the Mac OS as, you know, the number two form for computing. That'd be great. Uh, it's a hard sell, but I think, think the technology is there. We just got to to find a way to rally around it a little better, arguing about every little thing. There's, the trouble is the community behind the projects, are are often made up of contentious people and without say at Steve Jobs keep the contentious people at bay and focus on the product um it it you know it doesn't happen uh so i, I think that's why we need a shuttleworth out there we need a guy uh, that's why we need Linus Torval- Torvalds you know as the the um himself the dictator of the uh we need people like that and those guys have been good for linux and we need more like them we need somebody to stand up and say uh, you know this this version of Linux is going to be the prettiest that has that there's ever been, and we're willing to sacrifice some of the geekier function to make it pretty, and the geeks won't like that, but that will make it better as a product.
1: Yeah, and. Th- Unfortunately, what happens whenever you say that, there's a subset of geeks that then pull their support and development expertise and go make a geeky version. And so the strength of the community, the diversity, unfortunately, people don't want to play with each other. They just go and play in their own sandbox. So instead of having this one really awesome sand castle, (laughs) you've got a bunch of little sand huts made with pails line the beach you know and anytime somebody tries to you know hey i want four reference on this castle well i'm going to have five i'm going to go build one over here and you know you could have had an awesome sand castle but instead you know you got a mediocre one and that's unfortunately what has happened and it kind of leads to some of this fragmentation all right but we've talked about that long in the past,
0: yes. Um, okay, we're we're gonna put a we're gonna tie a bow around that, and we're gonna polish it and say that's our product uh, for this week. <laughs> I, I like the discussion, and, and I, it, it's the kind of discussion we're gonna have on a regular basis, uh, because we are all about you know the 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 desktop the the product is our focus. So yeah, we're we're sort of predisposed to like it.
2: See now, I got a quick question though before we end this show out.
0: No, I'm sorry. I just, said we. Duh, to, I said we're done. No, no, no. I said, no, good, day, <laughs> no, I I said good day, day sir. No, I
2: said good day. Sorry. Because I got a question now. If Ubuntu is the product of Linux, right? And, and that's the one they're polishing up to to sell or put on their phone or whatever. Where is their development le- level though? Because are they just sucking up the Debian's? Because, they, I, I mean, they, is, that their, is that the process of elimination for them? Or does Ubuntu need to start dropping a, a more edged, you know, bleeding edge market type of, of product to help spoon on or to, to spoon feed some of the geeky people?
0: Uh, you know, I, there's been a lot of, of heat. For the Ubuntu project for not giving back to Debian uh, and and what exactly what you're talking about that they're they're leeches they take the work of Debian and they make a product off of it Uh, frankly I don't I don't think that's true while they may not contribute upstream they do a heck of a lot of work uh, on making the product starting with Debian as the base so if you're saying that maybe Ubuntu should um, kick back a little to make the debian community happier i'm you know i'm not going to dispute that but that's not their focus their focus is to take what debian did and and make a product out of it so i think it would be dividing their effort if they did that if you're talking about you know releasing a more servery sort of ubuntu well there is a server ubuntu it's called debian so if they if they were putting effort into that they would be detracting from their main focus okay so uh, that's just the way i look at it so i think you're and there's definitely a pr value to that because definitely the debian community whines loudly about the fact that ubuntu takes their product and doesn't give back um and you know okay i I don't dispute that that's a fact uh but it also may just be the nature of the beast because I mean, if you take some, say you take uh, 5% of your employees at a, at the Shuttleworth Foundation at Ubuntu and have them working on the Debian team, that may make Debian a little better, but it's probably going to make Ubuntu a lot worse. So, you know, where's the return in your value for that? Yeah. Because a, a, yeah. Debian is good. They don't need the help. That's, the, that's my point, anyway. Okay, so on to the tips of the week. Uh, Chris doesn't have a command line tip this week. He's claiming that he's been sick. But really, I think we just know he ran out. He doesn't have any more. He's, yeah. he's not the command line godfather that we all thought he was.
2: Yes, yeah, you are. Blame me. I see how you go.
0: <laughs> but we do have a, a good um, Seth link this week. This is one I'd actually heard of, so you didn't stump me this time. Um
1: Okay. Um, this is. I came across this and you know it's not so much weird as it is entertaining and I don't know if it's safe at work or not but it's GeoGuessr.com that is GeoGuessr.com and what you do is it shows you a picture on your screen and based on what you can deduce from this picture you go over to a map of the world And click where you think it is and then it shows where it actually was and based on your distance you earn points the closer you are to the result the more points you get and so there's five pictures and the first time I did it I got 8 thousand six hundred and forty-six has the first round I did so you wanna see if you can beat that Geoguesser.com. you just look at the picture and then you go click one of the things that messed me up on the first one is I thought it was just all going to be in North America. I guess I didn't bother to read the name of the website. It's not North America Guesser. It's Geo guesser. So it's anywhere in the world, people, not just America.
0: So my first so guess, yeah. I was only 4,000 kilometers from Wright. It was awesome.
1: Well, that's not bad.
0: My yeah. next guess, I was 20,000 <laughs> kilometers from right.
1: <laughs> I had one that was less than 1,000. So. uh But yeah, my first one was like seven thousand.
2: Yeah, I'm averaging right around five hundred kilometers from the correct location on all my guesses.
0: Wow, you're you're good. I I I missed one. I'm not good at geography in general. And you know, some of these had there's print on the signs, right? If only I spoke that language, that would be awesome, (laughs)
1: right? But yeah, so there you go, geoguesser.com. dot com, and uh, you know, if you want to shoot some feedback, did you beat my score? um, You know, let us know. Again, my score was eighty six forty six on the first round I did. Um, So, what's your score? Uh, Tune in next week and find out.
0: So my uh, the guess I just made, I said it was in southern Canada, and it was in Finland. It was only an ocean away,
1: right? (laughs) But there's
0: similar, similar uh. Um, climates. I get some credit for that, right? No? Okay. So I got 4,942 well, points total on my, my one round. One
2: thing there. I'll definitely let everyone know is you can move the, the window around a little bit and explore the area to try and I- increase your guess, in case you didn't yeah. know that.
0: You can like zoom in and, and try to see some people. Of course, you can't see their faces because a lot of them are blurred out, which means they're probably in Germany. The faces are blurred. They're in <laughs> Sorry, anyway. Uh, this one, I said it was in Romania. It was in St. Petersburg. So, I, you know, I wasn't too far away on that one. 1,400 Ooh, kilometers. Oh, only 100 kilometers off that time.
1: Wow. All
0: right, so <laughs> we, uh, the next two hours of the show will be just us playing this game. So... <laughs> I think maybe it's time for us to stop. And uh, thanks for your feedback. Uh, like I said, next week's show is inspired entirely by your feedback. You guys were so excited about SSD. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And I think this may be the first time in 100 episodes that we actually already have the topic for next week before we even did the show this week. Uh, that that doesn't happen very often. Thanks for being with us for 100 shows. That's awesome. And if you haven't been, if you just came uh, along recently, um, go back and listen to all hundred. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Go back and listen to the last 20. I'm pretty proud of the last 20. Before that, <laughs> maybe not so much. Um,
1: yeah, and the last 20 does get you the burping episodes, yes, yes. But unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't get you the Boris Box episode. That's true. The Boris Box, I got it
0: all the way back to 39 for that one.
1: Uh, so thanks. Really? Yeah. That was
0: 39? Episode wow. 39. That was when Aaron was still here. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, well, uh, we, we love feedback. Uh, EDL at elementopy.com is the email address, or you can go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. If you want to send us a voicemail, uh, 559-IM-OP, uh, or go to the, uh, the website elementop.com and use the, leave us a voicemail widget right at the top of the page. Uh, we love hearing from you and we hope to have uh, another hundred episodes uh, for you to listen to. So thanks for being with us. Chris, Seth, as always, thanks for being the best co hosts I could afford on what I'm paying you. And uh, it's been a fun run, and we look forward to 100 more. And for now, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux.